Hello, and welcome to Artists on Artists. It's the Glass Tower podcast where we interview artists and art professionals across the state. My name is Christopher Blay, news editor at Glass Tower and host of Artists on Artists. This week, we're having a conversation with Bethlehem McConnell, uh, currently living in Austin, Texas. She is an Ethiopian native and works with a variety of mediums, including video, photography, and installation. Her work contemplates questions on perception, presence, and place. And in addition to her practice, McConnell is also an active member of the Austin-based Contemporary Arts Collaborative Black Mountain Project. Betelehem McConnell, welcome to Artist on Artists. It is an honor to meet you and have an opportunity to chat with you about your work. As I mentioned earlier in our previous conversation, I I went by and visited the spaces at Canopy and I just I must have missed you. Um I didn't knock, but I just assumed you weren't in, so it's good yeah, to have this opportunity. Yeah. It was probably just a an off day that we didn't get to intersect with one another unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in your work. First of all, congratulations on the Tito's prize. Thank you so much. Um tell me a little bit about that. Uh how that all came about. Wow. Um I mean, it was an incredible um prize. It's a really generous prize in the sense that it has no strings attached to it or any kind of uh conscription to it you know it really is generous aren't and those the best you know you exactly just <laughs> i mean that's me... the way it should be i think just like within arts right we shouldn't like copy like a business model it should be a no. different model right so totally it was really wonderful in that sense. Of course there was a, a show, a solo show at Big Medium attached to it, which is also a generous opportunity. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean it was great. I think it was like a convergence of like who was on the curatorial panel this the year that I won and I guess like uh, uh a connection that they all had to my work and it was a unanimous decision which was wonderful all three curators picked uh, my work to be um awarded the prize and uh for the show I did um a project that I had been working on over a year and a half or even longer I mean all of my works are actually just a continuous work over time but they take form rapidly. Right. And uh, I had a show called Rock Standard Time. Um, I was lucky enough for a glass tire to pick it as top 5 when it opened and what was even more wonderful is your guest was Mark Bradford and he actually <laughs> said my name which was you know? surreal, you know? <laughs> I share your enthusiasm <laughs> for that moment because I was conducting that interview with Bradford and it was a surreal moment. I, yeah. I tried to be as casual and conversational <laughs> as possible but at the same time uh being in the same room with with that dude. Yeah. Um but you know yeah your work 
especially uh, speaking of rock standard time and um some other work that i've i've seen um untitled meanwhile in particular they seem to anticipate 2020 it's all <laughs> it's all about being where you are observing time and not uh sort of running around helter skelter which 2020 has uh just sort of forced us to reckon with yeah i mean i think beyond like observing time i'm really it's that is not my interest it's more in recognizing that we ourselves are time you know we're not separable from it and to acknowledge ourselves is to like acknowledge like our own temporality and our own relationship to time and to realize that we are breathing living beings rather than machines right conceiving that show it was like i had been doing uh, a three-year uh, um, mfa program at saic um, curating at Fusebox. Uh, I am a mother, I have two children, I have a partner, I have a family. I'm an immigrant, which I'm sure you understand means you have multiple too. planets yes. and extended family. I was just, uh, the last three years leading up to the making of that show were just literally unsustainable. And, and I think also just within the world collectively, things were happening that were leading us to the moment we're in right now. So I constantly found myself in conversations with people where they were just desperate, you know? Yeah. There was just this sense of being completely exiled from time, you know? And like feeling like they were just rushing and unable to find meaning or connection with what they are doing. And yet they were always doing. Yeah. So, um, the work came out of that, you know, and of just trying to connect to a deeper sense of time to, you know, must we rush, but can we do it slowly? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can a we paste. catch up to ourselves? And yeah. what are we distracted from in this frantic moment that is actually fundamental to our lives and what we want out of it, you know? kind of uh, entering that matrix machine time that is uh, extracting and using you, right? Rather than you actually creating uh, a future based on your present, right? A future that you desire, willing yeah. something you want to be in. So a lot of the works, uh, the show as a whole was just dealing with that. Uh, modes of counting time. Uh, slowing down, looking at rocks as a type of a, a, a mute clock. Um, yeah, and just a nature too, lots of nature, because I think nature is a way for us to recalibrate ourselves and remember what we are and what we want out of life that we tend to lose when we're so within the, 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 the screens and the, the this yeah. and the news and the barrage and the this and the that and the now, you know, assess to account and to connect. Yeah, it's too many channels to keep up with, for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. And what I see in nature is that ability uh, or that reflection of the long game. Like exactly. things, <laughs> things change on such a different scale, but the change is happening. Yeah. And if we can find ourselves somewhere in that, I think it's it's really important. Yeah. 
I there's so much about your work that I connect with and perhaps it's a universal connection but there are also very specific connections uh you just spoke of machine time that was a, actually a title of one of my insta- oh, wow. <laughs> installations Beautiful. yeah it just uh I like the way you you talk about time especially as it relates to photography, you know, the camera controls, like the shutter speed uh, controls time and the the lens plays with distance and distance and time uh, seem sort of like inextricably linked. Your photographs, how they defy the medium. Well, I mean, I'm always thinking about um, ruptures and disruptions, you know, because Ultimately, we're working with the language, right? Whether it's in photography itself, medium means language. And I often think about what Toni Morrison taught us, which is we do language, right? And more specifically, when we're dealing with languages that are encoded uh, against us, you know, uh, citing somebody else, the poet Dion Brand that I love so much, you know, she says it's these languages are embedded with something that is against us. They're not a lingua franca for us. Right. And by us, I mean, you know, those of us who have raced, sex, gendered bodies, right? We are not the given for these languages. And ultimately, language is a technology as well, right? So I'm often uh, thinking about how I can misuse technology and language to my own good use. <laughs> Okay, I I feel like in some parallel experience we've shared a studio and <laughs> made, made uh, work side to side so and had conversations because yeah I yeah this concept of coding and transcoding and uh, the technology of language and how Willem um, Flusser yes. wrote yeah you know Flusser mm-hmm. uh, but yeah talking about prehistory and talking about technical language created this machine the camera to uh, have this relationship with time that's completely um, like we're the functionaries we are like just in this cog versus stepping out of it and looking at how the machine works and what the image is those are the things that are that interest me about photography creating in the code of images is an interesting to me and i that's the sort of affinity that i find in your work the ability to step outside of uh, this coded system and um, present images in ways that force you to engage it in a different way yeah and that also just challenged the paradigm through which that language is working, right? History plays a huge role in my practice. So I'm in conversation with the history of photography and from its inception, from its introduction, what it does is not for me, you know what I mean? Its history has been against me from the get-go. So, you know, and just the idea, you know, the allure of photography or how it's been defined, the idea of it like creating like a frozen present, that just doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Like I'm interested in creating, even my photographs, I say, I don't want you to see them, I want you to watch them because they're durational. I'm trying to create images that are in movement 
and that depending on how or where you're looking at them or who is looking at them, have a completely different experience, right? So, uh, you know, thinking more about like the uh, phenomenology of it rather than like, you know, the capture, even the word right. capture, I have a problem. Exactly. With, you know? no, I'm, I'm trying not to be captured, you know, and the yeah. idea of like the portrait photography being capturing someone. Oh, yeah. leave me out of it, you know. Capture, arrested. Yes, arrested. Movement, uh... All those things historically in association with my body do not have good association. So not at all. I'm constantly trying to create what I call a fugitive plane, you know. Uh, it's lines of escape and where the figure or the subject, which is me, is not bound or reduced to one thing. I've heard you quote Edouard Glisson. Glisson. Yes. Yeah, he's my um, partner in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, about the right to opacity, the right to not be seen or not be the thing that other people want to describe. Yeah. using you as the object. Yeah, and also, you know, I mean, for me, that text um, connects on a deep level because the ultimate question you ask in that text is, um, do you have to own me? Do you have to know everything about me for us to connect, you know? And for our bodies existing as disenfranchised subjects, right, within this matrix, you're not going to understand me. So if that is the deal breaker, then it's not going to happen. You know what I yeah. mean? And I I'm not, this... can't translate myself to a legibility within your construct because that's my demise. Tell me about, what is the name of that? The Meaning Waivers. The Meaning I, Waivers. Were, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, that show, which I did with uh, Stephanie Concepcion Ramirez, um, such a wonderful collaboration, you know. Um, just in how we set up the gallery itself, um, you didn't get to see the show, but it was a darkened gallery. Um, most when you walked in, till your eyes adjusted, you were like, "What the hell? Did they not light the show?" <laughs> but that was like the experience through which we 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 wanted the audience to, to uh, uh, engage with the work in the sense that, uh, yeah, especially when you're talking about history and memory, you know, to immigrants, it was a very personal show. We used our own personal archives, photographs from our families. And, you know, as child immigrants, our own ideas of our own memories, the gaps that are in it, what we don't know, right? And also thinking about how understanding is so overrated, you know, and <laughs> I think it comes like from a, a Western arc of, uh, of like seeing the world, you know, that you can know everything, you can pin it in a book and like identify it and, you know, yeah. kind of a taxonomy, right, of knowledge. And, uh, you know, as an African woman, that just does not make any sense to me. And then when you think about world history, you know, how me and you end up being here in the West talking on Zoom right now, just it doesn't add up, right? So uh, thinking about Glissant and this idea, the right to opacity and to not uh, overstate the importance of understanding and transparency 
as somehow being the means that you connect with one another. I think there's a, a lot more value to the personal connection versus um, the mediated um, connection through a machine. Yeah, again, just trying to, leaning through the poetics rather than the telling or the narrative, you know, of just to, to just break language open. Again, misuse it to good use, misuse it to what I'm trying to say, what my lived in history and experiences uh, manifest reality to be. Right? Yeah. Um, just, you know, when I think about the audience engaging with my work, I don't want them to see that I'm some definitive authority on whatever it is that's telling them something. It's like, I want them to leave with questions, right? I'm asking questions. You know, I think that an artistic practice is driven by curiosity, right? So I want them to leave there more curious and more disrupted than they arrived, you know, with whatever things might have gelled or were solid when they came in the show, that they leave with them being more uh, gaseous, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something in the absence of information as it relates to photography and to biography, because uh, there are things from my childhood that I remember differently than anybody else in my family. And that sort of uh, selective memory is the same mechanics in that I see in the photograph because that selection of that moment doesn't tell the whole story. And it's a series of moments that begin to suggest even a modicum of truth in uh, the telling. And in my own uh, personal history, I'm, I'm sort of gathering artifacts or tracking down law memories and information and images that were all lost due to disruption and conflict and uh, movement. Translation. So I, yeah, translation, exactly. Yeah. You know, even the things that I know have, have changed meaning over time. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I completely recognize that in the, the kinds of installations that you're making. I think that's, you know, uh, the title that Stephanie and I arrived to for the Women in Their Work show was again, I mean, I, I like to play with words. I like to play with all my materials. And I think of the words beginning from the title of the show to the title of the works, or if there's text within the work as also uh, material that I'm working with. So the meaning wavers, that's what we, we were thinking. Yes, the meaning wavers when you're in memory and the history and disrupted histories that we're talking about. There's nothing fixed and absolute, right? And also the meaning wavers. As the artist, we are meaning wavers as well, right? That exactly. We are, are recodifying, recontextualizing, transforming connections to ideas, words, realities, right? Um, so I'm thinking about that all the time, you know, as a diasporan who has gone through so many languages and the language of my grandmother that's there like in the motherboard of my own system is 
and you know, and then there's my Western education, there's my university education, all of that is in constant conversation with that motherboard language that I have. And then, you know, beyond that, if you really move the lens up, there is also the pre-language that's in there too, right? <laughs> yeah, and that is embedded in the DNA. It may be latent, but it it's there. And um, we as Black artists or as African artists have one language and one manifestation in the work. It's a burden that some other artists may not deal with. And the, the idea that we can summarize who we are into one object or one way of working is for me. Yeah, it's, it's absurd, right? The monolithic thinking, reducing the world to one representative, right? But on the other hand, like you said, when we first started speaking, you know, we can't operate on a hollow universality either, you know, because um, that is what we're up against all the time as well. You know, when I think about like abstraction, right, people will say, well, that's what you work with abstraction, you know, and I just, I, I always have such a, you know, troubled relationship with words, right? And for me, I think, well, abstraction and the idea of like, oh, I'm just thinking this, oh, I'm going to put this color with this form. I don't think that way, you know? I mean, at best, I work with a grounded abstraction. I think that's why, I mean, I, I know that's why I put rocks as pedestals for my screens, you know, it, in that I'm always grounded in my history, right? And the experiences that are encoded in me as an individual, but also collectively, the shared exhaustion of people like me, right? And I think that's why I keep moving to the idea of conjugation. That's like a new word, mm. I use it a lot, <laughs> you know, because I think that conjugation, it doesn't try to subvert like, uh, uh, like that index, that universal index with another, but it, challenges like its indexicality through like contradiction, cohabitation, recombinations, multiplicity, because conjugation is like, it's based in time, right? In time, yeah. and then also in subject and number, right? And unlike abstraction, which at its roots means extracting or removing, conjugation means coupling. It actually means like, bearing something new through a togetherness mm -hmm. so i don't know lately that's what i've been doing i say no i don't work with abstraction i work with conjugation yeah yeah i like that idea of uh, combining culture jamming fusing yeah. yes because we aren't one thing and constantly changing too. constantly I mean, changing movement is fundamental in my work that's why my camera is not still even when i'm making a still image because of the materials I incorporate it in, in like giving it form, it's moving, it's changing. You cannot pin it in that sense, you know, uh, movement. I mean, reality is mobility itself, right? That's um, uh, Bergson, Henri Bergson, who I love too, uh, who uh, talks about, the, you know, the idea of duration again, as time not being a line that's outside of us, but a space we enter, you yeah. know, and for me, I even say, we don't enter it, we are it, right? When we 
kind of get over this glitch of like the separate form yeah. that we think we inhabit, you know? You're in your, at home and I'm in my studio here and we can pretend we're still, but we know that this rock <laughs> we're on is spinning, right? And it's moving pretty fast. Pretty fast. Space, we can't escape. Know? I mean, we can't. <laughs> so I, I think that's ultimately what's at the foundation of my practice is an insistence on mobility, which is like freedom and liberation, you know, to move. <laughs> oh, what what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I I feel this energy. It's uh, I I'm enjoying this conversation because yeah, I mean I'm looking at your work and I'm looking at clocks on the wall and I'm thinking this is exactly where where I am. This is. Uh, it resonates. And I think it's, it's, I think it's not as, I think it's a very universal connection though. I think the way that you present time and the way that you present image can be sort of removed and taken back to such a primal connection with basic elements like earth, you know, yeah. rock. And we've always just sort of struggled with our relationship with time so those things instinctively but i also i mean i think about i think about time a lot mm -hmm. and um so it's, it's good to recognize it in in your work yeah i think we get so distracted you know i think just uh colonial imperialist time space it is it's about separating. I mean, if you really look about look at it closely, it's about a classification based on separateness, right? And so, you know, when I hear you say, no, actually there is a universality in this, you know, that's before that. Yes, I, absolutely. That is what I'm working with. That's why I keep stacks of rocks in my studio or place them under my desk so my feet are on rocks as I'm working because I don't want to be distracted from that and like you know cornered into viewing myself and my existence in, as like a walk-on role on this planet you know rather than as like a protagonist that has always been here and I think that relates to what you were saying, just that double burden of being non-white artists, you know, of like telling this other story. And, you know, it's- Yeah, you know, it's- It's exhausting. Yeah, pushing against being uh, forced into the narrative, whether it is by uh, an, or an institution or mm -hmm. a curator or- yeah. um, even just the subconscious yeah. yes it's like <laughs> no this is what you do stop mm -hmm. doing that other mm -hmm. thing and only do this because i can't classify you otherwise yeah you know i've had many uh <laughs> studio visits and you know in grad school too of just yeah like you know when somebody comes to your studio and i always think it's almost as if they trip over some like thing I can't see at my door, you know, because they're like, oh, 
this is not what I expected. It's like, well, what did you expect? And why, and did why you should expect you expect that? something? Yeah. Exactly. What did you expect? Why did why didn't you afford me the freedom of you don't know? I'm an artist. That's what art is. Like what the you unexpected. Know? Yeah. Right. You know, a lot of young artists I talk with other artists who talk about their grad school experience as being traumatic. Yeah. You know? fucking just makes me so angry and it makes me so sad too you know it's I such couldn't a, agree a common more. experience and you know there are times when and it, it still does where it pushes me towards possibly bringing teaching into my practice and uh pursuing that to to like you know be a, a counterforce to that experience yeah, it's it's so difficult for students trying to find their way in their practice to not have the ability to to exist in that space and do the freedom to do yeah. and be what their work wants to do yeah. and be. And for the questions not to be uh, connected to some expectation, you know, some continued expectation of what it should be, right? Yeah, I think that's something we don't talk enough about, actually. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with um, representation as well. Yeah, yeah. I allow myself to um, be affected by the world around me I because I live in this world. I came really late to art, and I have the healthy skepticism in my practice that yes, doesn't <laughs> sort of hurdle me towards the the corridor of the Black artists, quote unquote. Um, yeah. Being a part of this world, it's impossible to ignore the assault on Black bodies. And so how do you, when the world affects you in the ways that it affects uh, Black artists, how how do you respond? I think it's fundamental that the work that I make is constantly trying to center itself in a space outside a prescripted orbit, meaning I'm not making my work in direct response or relationship to whiteness, you know, or I'm in conversation with it, I have to be because I, again, I'm in this body in this world. My undergrad um, degree was in the history and literature of Africans and Africans in the diaspora. So again, like history, colonial history, the history of black bodies in this world, you know, post-colonialism is very much in my thinking, right? right. But I think that's why I put the rocks under my desk and I put my feet on them because it's really hard not to be pulled in, distracted, be forced to respond and interact and speak from within that orbit. But again, I, I'm trying to, I, that's why I'm just vigilant of the language and looking at everything in its pieces and misusing it, disrupting it against itself to not speak from like that center, but to try as hard as it is to speak from another center, another space, and to try to create a new space, right? Not to like uh, join in or participate, but 
refuse. You know, I don't even want to say it's a counter offense because that in itself implies that there's something pushing against, you know, not even that, to lean to the side of illegibility, to opacity, and know that those that connect to it will connect to it. I'm not trying to connect to an everybody. You, we share something, so you recognize it and you connect to it. And it's open, you know, but it doesn't necessarily translate to everyone that experiences it. Nor should okay it. okay by me, exactly. I think, I think that's how I, I navigate that treacherous space. And I'm very aware that is treacherous. I'm surrounded by, by books I read in conversation of realizing I'm not alone in that. I'm constantly making family both alive and in the ancestral realm of just creating those connections. And there is a lot of people, there's a lot of people that have done that work, that do that work. And, you know, even if they're not the standardized voices, the subsidized voices, they're there. So that's what I look for. And, you know, I have to do what, what I do, right? And that is based on my lived in experience. I don't want to join a team or... <laughs> <laughs> you know like belong in that sense i will just stay by myself in the forest and like play with my rocks <laughs> well there it is i see that future and i i i think that is the way we move forward recognizing where we are and doing the thing that we do doing the thing that you do best and making that voice enough yeah and you know, and everything else is like an extra bounty that comes, right? I mean, I really do believe that the forms that we are, you know, this idea of separateness is just an illusion ultimately. And that on a base level, you know, just like plants, we are all connected. We are one big breathing organism. So mm -hmm. like the organ that I am, I try to, um, be true to it and to make the work. And yeah, and I think that, you know, like collectively in that way, uh, it will affect the whole organism. I am one plant and, you know, sometimes you can dismiss a single plant really. And, but you realize like plants together create oxygen for us to breathe, to be able to live on this planet. So. I find myself more and more thinking of artists as plants and to yeah. consider myself as a plant as well. Okay, now I'm going to go listen to uh, Stevie Wonder's The Secret yes. Life of Plants. Yes. <laughs> and get, get grounded that way. Yes. Well, uh, Betelehem. Yes. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. There is probably another hour and possibly five hours more in this conversation. <laughs> and I hope that uh, the One universe- we'll walk together. I love talking. Yes, uh, what better way to have this conversation than yeah. in nature, in <laughs> over time and yes. in movement. There yes. it is. Thank you uh, so much for the invitation. I really appreciate talking to you, Christopher. And the feeling is mutual and we are, I am very happy that you were generous enough to agree to it. So until we see again, 
Yes. Take, Take care, care of yourself. and be well. Okay. Ciao, Christopher. Nice talking to you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.